We'll ask, start with question number six, first of all. It says, um, how can, hey, Pastor, you, this is fun, fun, this for you, Pastor. <laughs> this question is for you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's read it. How can I counsel my 10 years old daughter biblically about my illness? I've been suffering from respiratory problems for nearly a year. Many times she has been in great distress physically. Yesterday my wife, he has seen me in great distress physically. Yesterday, my wife was bitten by a dog. Now, my daughter has started asking questions like, why isn't God healing you, taking such a long time? Why is the devil troubling you always? We've always tried to give her a Christian perspective. So, how do we answer? Like, uh, I fall ill, and the end of it, like COVID-19, is illness around the world. And why is it so fearful? Because there is primarily no 100% vaccination, medication. But we are not afraid like the others, because for us, death is not the end. It is just the beginning of the greater and the more wonderful life. The whole thing is that 
Like I said, the kingdom of God has to be real in our homes. Homes. And the parents, whether they are, uh, whether children are young or older, the parents have to believe in the reality of the kingdom of God. Okay. And that's what you see. Like, like I tell you a simple example about this. Now, the brother who's written about it is talking about his illness for an year. His wife got bitten by a dog and the children asked these questions. Why do you think when Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in the prison and their legs locked up in stocks, when they were singing, it is written, all the other prisoners were listening? Just midnight hour, mm. everybody got up and they were listening. Why were they listening? Why were they listening? They were listening is because of those two people's reaction to something that is afflicting their body in the temporal world mm. severely. But the reaction is the proof that there is something beyond this world and beyond this life. That is one of the reasons God tells in the Bible to give thanks, to praise God, to rejoice in all things. And it is just not an act of your mind. It's also a response of your heart knowing there is a God and there is a world outside this life. So we have to teach our children. Because this prosperity gospel is one of the reasons which has messed it up. The prosperity gospel comes with this, there is no suffering in this life. Suffering in this life cannot be. No, there is. There is suffering. There is so much suffering the Bible talks about. Only then we will enter into the kingdom of God. Yes. So there is sickness. I am not saying we need to go through all those sicknesses, but there can be so many reasons for the sicknesses, physical and spiritual. And sometimes um, the spiritual, we will understand only after much prayer and fasting to understand where did it come from, why is it not going and how it will go. I'm not saying you need to live with your sickness and all, but it also does not mean all sicknesses will go away. Paul had to live in many times his uh, disciples behind and he was a most anointed man. And he couldn't pray over them and get them healed. And I don't think his disciples had hidden sin or anything. But they understood this was all. But it did not stop them from praising God. Okay, so our children need to know this. Very, very, there is suffering in this world. There is suffering in the world. Because this is a clash between two kingdoms. It's a 24-7 battle we are fighting. And you, you have to prepare your children for that battle. And sickness in the body is part of that battle. How are you going to respond to that? No sickness in the body, depression, suicide. You see what is happening around the world. People are depressed. There is so much suicide taking place. All this is the result of this battle. No, Elijah, the great prophet, classic case of depression is when he runs and he wants to die. He's suicidal in the Old Testament. One of the greatest men in the Old Covenant is suicidal. Okay, Moses, one of the greatest men at the age of 80 when God meets him. He's absolutely low self-esteem. That he thinks he's good for nothing. That I cannot do this task. I will live the rest of my life looking after my father-in-law's sheep. That's all I'm good for. See, great men of God struggle with all of these things in the Bible. Okay, they, you know, even Paul talks about. I mean, he. I mean, that one verse. Not one verse. That one in the book of Corinthians. I right? Second Corinthians. Chapter 13. No. Chapter 13. Yeah. No, not 13. Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter 4. Oh, okay. And verse 7. Mm -hmm. 
and to nine. Or to 7 to 10 also. Mm. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It makes it very clear. What is the nature of earthen vessels? They crack. Mm-hmm. They mm. break. They're very, very fragile. Earthen vessels are very... But inside is the treasure. That is Christ. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then it takes the response of the believer. Mm. We are hard pressed on every side, okay. yet not crushed. We are pressed on every side. But we are perplexed. Mm. Okay, the world is also purpose. We are also purpose. What is happening with this pandemic? Why is it not going? But unlike them, we should not be in despair. Okay, we are persecuted. Christians are persecuted. Muslims are persecuted in China. Yeah, Buddhists are persecuted. Hindus are persecuted in different, different nations, different, all religious people are persecuted. Communists are persecuted in other places, in religious places. But the difference between them and us is we are also persecuted, but we are not forsaken. Mm. Because we have somebody from the other side who is with us all the time. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Okay, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. His suffering, his death. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That life is internal. That is in the soul powerful life of God. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. If you become body focused and material world focused, the gospel changes. It is not the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God gospel is this, where the power of the kingdom is manifested in incredible trials and testing. That even in sickness, that that sister, no, the modern example is, what is her name? Johnny, who's in that wheelchair. Johnny Ernesto, the one who sings, no? Doesn't she sing? Yeah, no, I'm not very sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm that. So those people are all, or that other gentleman, no, who was born without hands and feet and yes, all. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, to secular audiences, he gives this thing, but he's a, he's a believer. Mm. In the Christian places, he gives his testimony that nothing need to put you down. It's Christ in you. So that's what God is talking about. In the lights, why, why does God allow all these things to happen? Because through it all, no, through it all. The best part of it is Job's testimony. He goes through unbelievable suffering, mental and physical. Mental is he loses everything. And he's all alone. He has no wife to support him. She's there, but she's against him. His friends accuse him. And then head to toe, he's afflicted with sickness. And then through it all, God comes through. And then at the end, he says, you know what? He turned around for my good. I know him better through. And I'll tell you honestly, more people get to know God better through suffering than through comfort. Because then they real how real he is. So that's how we explain to our children this is. This is this is what life is. But a lot of things can be avoided if you understand the spiritual battle. And uh, no, a lot of the enemies, fiery darts are being shot every day at our body, at our mind every day. And we have been given the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And that is the battle we have to learn. No, we have to learn. So there are so many issues. So we cannot have until like we have the pathologist and the radiologist report in our hands. That is from the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to find what is the cause. And sometimes, but one thing we know is whatever is the cause and whenever this will end, I know now how I need to respond through it all. God is good all the time.
that God is good all the time, I'm going to praise him through it all. Hallelujah. Okay. And the reason I praise him to through the most comforting verses in the Bible for a believer is John chapter 14 and verses 1, 2 and 3. Very, very comfort. Let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also. Who is he talking to? He's to, he's, uh, one is gone already in John 13, 30, 30, he's gone. So 11 are there. All 11 will be martyred. Wow. Every one of them will die for him. And he's telling them, let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And listen to the crowd he's talking to, that set of leaven. This is very personal for them. If I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And these eleven people will forsake everything, their homes, their lives, their careers, everything, and serve him till their last breath, and every one of them will die. And many of them in far away distant lands never will see their families or their communities again, including Thomas who died in India. But through it all, they stood firm because their reality was the kingdom of God. Amen. The kingdom of God. And not this life. Mm-hmm. Okay? That doesn't mean we get into a pessimistic mode and accept everything. No, you have to fight it. Mm-hmm. You have to fight it. There are two different things. One, your attitude while you are fighting. It's not a defeatist attitude. Mm-hmm. Defeatist, defeatist attitude. Yes. No, it is not. That's one thing I like about President Trump. Trump. Mm-hmm. You can say whatever polls tend this thing below 14, the other fellow is leading. You think as if he's winning every poll. Okay, no defeatist attitude at all. And that should be the that attitude of a believer. And his is, of course, is a political, temporal thing. Ours is an eternal thing. Mm. He's already won the battle. Amen. He's already won the battle. We cannot be defeated. <laughs> He's already won the battle. We can lose our little, little battles, but the war is over. <laughs> the war is over. You see, it's like the Second World War. They signed. The Jap- Japanese and the Nazis surrendered. But there were a lot of Japanese in little, little islands who did not know Japan had surrendered. <laughs> and they were still fighting <laughs> with their little rifles. <laughs> joke. Okay, in the same way, you don't get upset about all this. The war is over. Even if you only come through the flames with all your works burned, you're still the child of the king. Hallelujah. Child of the king. Okay. And you still are going to be in eternity. Okay, so you don't have to worry about those things. So that's how you have to teach your children. And we as parents have to be very, very careful that we don't feed the world into our children. We have to always teach our children to see the world through the eyes of the kingdom. That whatever they are doing, they need to excel. Everything is simply because of not what they will get or rise up in the world. But these are qualities of the character our children will imbibe which we'll use to serve the king here and above all in eternity. Because you're not going to get it there. Amen. You're going to carry it from here. Amen. That's Amen. how you leave your treasures in heaven. Amen. Amen. What is treasured in heaven is character, not gold or silver. You know, that's how you stock up treasure in heaven. And that's the glory you will receive. So we teach our children that way. That's the reality. This is just temporary. I mean, I believe that's how you tackle it. Otherwise, you'll go into depression. Otherwise, you will go into a depression. Yes. Hallelujah. I don't want to add. Now, okay, second question, let me ask (laughs) before you escape. (laughs) 
Okay, only one question was wrong. Yeah, yeah, one question you already asked. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave the first question. Okay, I'll ask you question number three. What are the changes effected in a child of God by the work of sanctification? Is sanctification an instantaneous work of God received immediately after salvation as a second blessing? I know we have answered this many times, yeah. but it is a constant question. One of the ways, one of the things I believe is the way we think. What affects, you know, like we, our entire perspective will change. It says, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, we know that verse very well. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you may prove that which is good, acceptable and perfect. That is what First thing, the way we start thinking is totally, totally different from what we were thinking before. First thing. Second thing is that your priorities will change. Big time. Okay. Um, I, I personally, I experienced this in my entire, in my own life is that when I was um, uh, in the world, meaning uh, not in the sense of enjoying life, I was when I was in the lab, I would call lab and world is the same for me. But my world was my lab those days. 365 days I was in the lab. Okay. Every day. 365 days. I would hardly went to church. One whole year. And then, when I came to the Lord, my entire perspective of life changed. Everything was first God. I'm not saying that it happened instantaneously, but God first. God first. God first in in everything. Uh, I, I, I remember when I started uh, working as a faculty in my university. Wednesday, we had midweek service, right? And that was the most difficult service to attend. You know, because it's right in the middle of a work week. And it's not easy to make time and come. But one of the things that I decided, I would never miss that no matter what pressure I faced in the lab. And I had no clue he would become the next pastor. And I could see him come rushing in. And I used to wait for him because I... Good, good teachers, no, not good teachers, teachers look for good students. So I used to see him rushing in from the lab. So that was one, and I remember in all the eight years when I used to come, that was like I can remember in the, in the, in the fingers of my right hand the number of times I missed the Wednesday service. And you wouldn't believe it, whenever I used to come for the service, okay, I used to come with tremendous pressure, I used to go so much of frustration, and I would get the word right for that situation during a Wednesday service. Hardly expect. You generally expect a word for on the Sunday morning service, right? Wednesday service. And when I finished the service, there would be a release in my spirit and I would go back home with on a high. Which it happened all the time. So first thing, I always remember one of the things that you change, your priorities will change. Okay. First, and priorities I'm talking about, priorities in terms of your relationship with God. Your relationship with your time and your money, both things. Okay, um, time and money priorities will change. Second thing, your friendships, your relationships will change. Okay, the relationship with the spirit will take precedence with the relationship of the flesh, flesh and blood. And that is one of the most painful exercises a believer has to go through. Okay, if, especially if you have Real strong, and especially in the Indian context, I know both um, 
parents um it's very hard for a guy to leave and cleave and very difficult for a for a for a daughter to forget it's one of the things that you have to constantly keep doing and even today both justin and i will struggle with that okay to forget to keep the flesh and blood second and the and the church of god as the first as for the saints in the land they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight okay so that is another thing third thing i i am telling you honestly this is not because i became a pastor how i look at men of god okay changed okay you have all your careers i think this is because of this check yeah you have all your careers okay you have your computer science you have okay just think about the best career sending a guy to the to the international space station okay you, that's a dream right you you send bolt ran on a 10 meters dash in the international space station apparently okay so even he he reached the international space station that's the highest you could reach international space station okay just think about that that is one and men of god is a total different thing it's a high calling you no know? no i remember this um uh when i when i was um when i was asked when i was le- leaving my job to join full time ministry i was t- somebody was looking at me so what are you doing sir you finished so where are you going are you going to the us i said no what are you going to do i said i'm go- i'm, a- I'm going to become a pastor he looked at me as if i lost everything in life okay and you know this is the this is a sad reality of many many believers too they think coming into ministry is a demotion for me coming into the ministry was a promotion not because i deserved it <laughs> please don't misunderstand me <laughs> not because i was meant for it or deserved it absolutely not it is simply because it was a call of god it is a high call and that is one of the things that I, that completely changed you know so when i look at men of god no matter how simple they may they may look or how um, innocuous they may look or how irritating they might seem they are men of god and the way i look at them has completely changed when i when i was in a in the secular realm and now when i when i was there too i used to look at men of god and i used to have very very high regard for them okay very high regard for them that is another thing that changed okay and i, and I really want to encourage i stress on this point simply because one of the things that i see when i interact with people from different different backgrounds is that the kind of disdain and that you know it's like simply like the, like joseph says right shepherds are an abomination to the egyptians okay you see that that the disdain and the way they look down upon people who are in the ministry and I'm, i'm not saying that because i'm in the ministry now this attitude was not there even before before i was called to the full time ministry my attitude towards men of god changed okay and i realized that it was a very very high calling and i think those are the few things and priorities are the most important thing i believe changed is sanctification an instantaneous work of god absolutely not <laughs> uh, and it's not a gift either it, it is not a gift either it has it's very hard work one of the things in the process of sanctification okay the most difficult thing that one has to overcome is offense okay. most difficult okay because you'll be constantly be confronted if you are really interested in sanctification you will be constantly be confronted with all the errors in your heart in different circumstances from different people okay no matter what okay and one of the things that you need to realize is 
simply because of fellowship. That is that that is the reason why a church setting like us, where we know each other so well, we at least in a bunch of guys who are close to each other, we know each other so well. We know our weaknesses, we know our faults, and we are absolutely transparent about it. And when people when people confront us about those issues, we are not offended. Okay, and that is one thing that. One person, a person really in the process of sanctification has to constantly, sanctification is not, you know, we have this romantic idea about holiness. Holiness means, okay, no, I don't have evil thoughts or, no, 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 it's not like that. It is, it's simply that you have to get rid of pride and offense every day of your, of your life. And that happens because you are put in a setting by God where you are constantly being confronted. That is sanctification, okay. And what is sanctification? Let for for me at least this is it is this is it is uh, it is this okay. Uh, it says if you want to be a vessel of honor in God's kingdom, okay, it's, uh, you can go to Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty two. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty two. Yeah, it's a very famous verse. F- of onwards, okay. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord of out of a pure heart. You see this? Flee youthful lusts, okay, but Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, not independently, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see that. In the process of sanctification, you are not alone. You can never be sanctified by yourself. Okay. Okay, I cannot, I'll fight evil thoughts when I'm, okay, all by myself and then I'll come and join the church. It doesn't happen. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Go on. Verse 24. And, uh, um, so, 21, 21, 21, yeah, 21, let's say, yes, exactly, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work, and again, look at this verse, you know, whenever you look this, some vessel of honor, so what is a vessel of honor, people will say, okay, fine, I'll be a very powerful preacher, or I'll be a great worship leader, or I'll be a prayer warrior, something who's, when people look at you, they'll say, okay, this is something to be honored and someone to be honored. Not necessarily. When you are sanctified and you are set apart, you know what you are saying, telling, telling God? You are saying, Lord, whatever position you want me to be used in, I am ready to be used in. For example, turn to John's Gospel chapter 17, verse 19. John's Gospel chapter, chapter 17, verse 19. Okay, you see that. And for their sakes, who is this? Jesus, okay. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. For what? For what purpose? For their sakes. What is for their sakes? That I will die for their sins. I will endure the most horrible and shameful death ever experienced by any man ever in the history of mankind, so that they can be sanctified. That means I am going to be, I am prepared to be used by God for no matter what. Another example. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, 5 and 6. Very famous verses that we know very well. Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Again, go on. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious nor I did turn away. Meaning what? This is the first two, first two verses we'll see that God gave him a tongue of instructor, tongue of the learned. When Jesus opened his mouth, people were stunned and were astonished at the doctrine and the authority with which he spoke. Okay, that is 
Only one level. Look at the next verse. Verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me. That is interesting, isn't it? And my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. Sanctified, set apart for, for as a vessel of honor. Oh. To be beaten, to be spat upon, to endure shame. You see? What is the ultimate purpose of sanctification? You are saying, Lord, whatever reason, whatever purpose that you have for me on this side of eternity, use me. It doesn't matter what capacity I'm, I will be used in. Whether I will be recognized or not recognized. Whether I will be spat upon and most of the time you will be uh, despised and be rejected if you are genuinely a, a child of God. That is a vessel of honor. You see that um, Hosea, right? Lord, I sanctified and set apart myself for what? To get married to a prostitute? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Jeremiah, Lord, I sanctified and set apart myself for what? To be set, to be sent into prison? Isaiah, as so sanctified and set apart for what? To be sawn into two? Okay. I was sanctified and set apart for what? Whatever purpose that you have for me, Lord, I'm willing to go through it and accept it as, as honor, even though in the eyes of the world I should be uh, experiencing this dishonor. Does it happen in one day? No, absolutely not. That is the reason why you're Thinking has to constantly keep changing over and over and over again. That is the reason why we keep on refer, uh, referring to that verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and then, second thing, be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. These two things are not a daily process. Like pastor keeps saying, entrance into the school is free. Okay. Promotion. Promotion, absolutely not. Okay, that is something which we have to work upon. And it is not by our own strength. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13, if I'm right. Philippians chapter 2, yeah. Therefore, my beloved, yes. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not is as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Okay, he says work out your salvation. Okay, but not in your own strength. For it is God who works in you. This is of course not talking about the salvation of our spirit. He's talking about the salvation of our soul. Being sanctified more and more. Start thinking like the way that Jesus thinks. This is not the sanctification of the, this is not the salvation of the spirit. Salvation is to the uttermost and primarily is to change the way we think. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For example, rise up and build. What did, what did I, what did I think when I got this verse? When pastor shared this verse right in the beginning of this year, I said, we are going to build our church, man. That's what I thought. That's the first thing that I thought that came to my mind was we are going to have a huge campus, Lord, and we are going to have a place of worship for ourselves. This is exactly what, what I thought, and I'm not kidding you. And do you, you know how, what is, what the, the whole thing has changed now. We are here, right there, we have not built anything. We have got a few cameras over here and literally we are building the lives of the people all around the world. Okay. Raising up walls. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And until and unless you come to the point where you start thinking, Lord, this is what I want to be. 
Now I want to think the way you think. I want to see the way you see. I want to I want to really really understand reality the way you understand. For he says, you have the what of Christ, the mind of Christ. Sanctification is to that to that is is to that end that we start thinking the way God thinks, and then we look at everything from his perspective. We look at world events, we look at our own life, we look at our marriage, we look at our children, we look at relationships, we look at priorities. Everything begins to begins to change, and perspective it'll make sense because we know. Uh, where we are going and where we are heading. And that is how I look at sanctification. Long answer, Pastor, but I think you can add. <laughs> like for the young children, I'll try to make it a little simpler. Like, you know, we talk about salvation is primarily split into three parts. The first part is when you are saved, you are justified. The second is the long part, which is sanctification. And the third part is when Jesus comes you will be glorified. Now please remember, when it comes to sanctification, only those who are justified can be sanctified. Hmm. Those who are not justified can never be sanctified because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of sanctification. Only the Holy Spirit can sanctify you. There are a lot of people who are not saved and they struggle with this sanctification and it never works. And it will be like all like crazy. Like I will tell you a simple example which you could see even till yesterday on camera. You have this movement going on in US. Okay. And after the convention was over in the White House, the invitees were coming out. Old people, simple people. And many of them are people of faith. And Senator Rand Paul and all and his wife were coming out. And this crowd was around them. And this crowd are all zealous for causes. And if you look at them, you will think these are people who are so righteous, jealous for God. But every one of them, when they open their mouth, the language is filthy. Hmm. Okay? So you need to realize how the kingdom of God looks at all these things. You are so zealous for a cause, but you are a vessel that is full of filth. Hmm. Vessel full of, because that's how you think. See, that's, that's what happens in the world. You can be incredibly moral and be ethically downed. Or you can be extremely ethical and have the morals of an alley cat. Hmm. Okay. So you need to realize it simply doesn't work that way. The first step is you have to be saved. You have to be saved. It's a supernatural work of God where the Holy Spirit convicts you and brings you out of sin, declares you righteous. One of the first things, please understand about sanctification, why sanctification is a big struggle for those who are saved. One of the fundamental things of sanctification is that there is an element of separation. He has plucked you out of the world. And if you are not separated, you cannot be sanctified. You have to take a step back from the world you were in when he saved you. That is the first message Peter preaches. Come out of this corrupt generation, evil, wicked generation. Those who accepted his message, they are saved now. Okay, they accepted his message. They get baptized and then they come out. They come out. And a lot of people refuse to come out. They never get sanctified. They never get sanctified. The next step, these are all continuous. They gather daily for the apostles' teaching. And Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. 
your word is the truth. So now those who separated, that's part of sanctity, they are being sanctified by the word of God. As Pastor Vijay said, their thinking is changing. Perspective is changing. This is what it is. And the change is then after that, the second thing is written is fellowship, mm-hmm. meaning now they have to live it out in a community. And I, I keep like keep saying, uh, though the kingdom of God has a king, the most genuine democracy in the world also is the kingdom of Amen. God. Yes. Because whether you are off the street or whether you are a king, you have to come through the same doorway with equal rights Hallelujah. and equal <laughs> responsibilities. Genuine, pure democracy. Everybody comes in through the same door. So a church, a genuine church will have people of all kinds strata of society. You will have high officers, you will have poor people, everybody. But it's one family. Mm. And they all come out of the world. That doesn't mean the world has got out of them. They have different ways, culture, eating habits, talking, this thing, some... And God teaches you to live among them. Mm. And He's effecting change in you through them. Yes. Okay, effect you. And that's where fellow and a lot of people stay away from fellowship. Mm. And if there is fellowship, the fellowship is very worldly. Still does not, sanctification does not work. So we have to fight those things. It's all part of fellowship sanctification. Okay? Sanctification, there is separation. And after separation, there is the constant work. God is, and he will move you to level and level and level and level of sanctification to show your soul. Uh, I mean, Pastor Vidya showed from Isaiah 50, and those are all extreme cases. Most people don't even reach there. Jesus reached there, and he's being proven on the cross. Are you sanctified, or are you going to react to this crowd? The crowd is there. How are you going to react to this crowd? Let's see how sanctified you are. And he opens his mouth and blesses them. Okay, so that's the end of this spectrum. But we are somewhere all caught in the middle of this daily battle. Our daily battle is a battle of sanctification. And unless we understand the importance of sanctification in the kingdom of God, that your your glorification will be directly proportional to your sanctification. Okay, that's why we wake up our children and pump them, because we see some glory in the world. Study, 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 tuition, 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 this thing. We see something in the world. Otherwise, we won't put. The problem is, the church also preaches the same thing. They don't see, they preach the glory in the kingdom. Glory in the That's why Jesus, they asked Jesus straight up, they asked that question. We left everything to follow you. What about us? He said, you know what, you won't lose. And especially you guys are not going to lose. You will sit on those 12 thrones of Israel and judge Israel. You guys are not going to lose. Okay. He said, you will in the kingdom to come. He says, you will get multiplied reward. You're not going to lose both forsaking everything and following me. So we have to, and even if you read the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, everything is promised to the one who overcomes. One who overcomes. And the only thing that can cause you to overcome is sanctification. Sanctification helps you to overcome. It's a battle. That's how you look at it. And it's not instantaneous, never, and it is not a gift. Sanctification is not a Salvation is a gift. Justification is a gift. Nobody earned it. Sanctification is not a gift. You have to cleanse yourself, and God cleanses you. It's a work with two people involved in it. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, so question number four is also mm. very similar. God is a God of miracles. Can he not change us and transform us instantly? Instantly at his coming, as it is said in First Corinthians chapter 
15 verse 51 and 52. We shall all be changed in a moment. But that's talking about the body. Mm. It's not talking about the soul. In an instant, we will get the new body. When Jesus comes in a second, in a split of a second, when that takes place, this body will change and we'll get the incorruptible body. And then? And many Bible scholars say that a holy, sanctified life is impossible. Do you or Pastor Vijay agree or disagree? What does God say about uh, 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 to us about this? Okay. Um, I will not go with the scholars. I'll go with the word of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, scholars are there. Look, okay, they will say perspective and all context and all. But even if you look at context, let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and read verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What did he say? You shall be. And what is it? The context is talking about the most difficult thing in Love. life, loving people. Everything else is easy. It's easy to serve people without loving them. Absolutely. That's why they call government servants. They're not called loving servants. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can do almost... Anything in, in life without loving. The most difficult thing in the world is to love the way God loves. Okay? And that area God says, therefore you shall be perfect. And he talks about loving your enemies. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So the question is, can you be wholly sanctified? Will he ask us to do something which is impossible? No, you can be. You can be. See, we are, people are confusing temptation for sin. They always confuse temptation for sin. Scripture says Jesus was tempted at all points and did not sin. sin. And I personally believe a saint can reach a point where you can be tempted at all points and not sin. When the temptation becomes a action, it is sin. Yes. Okay. Temptation doesn't mean you are not sanctified. The more sanctified you are, the more you will be tempted. Amen. The kind of temptation you will face when you are a saint will be completely different when you are a open sinner. The kind of temptation Jesus is facing, we will not face now. Okay, Jesus faced temptation like crazy. But he didn't sin. So when you say it's not wholly possible, no, I will not go with it. I will go with God's word. This is one thing. Second thing we will look at. Only two verses we will look at. Because these are the most two, most difficult things in the word of God. Hmm? Chapter 3 of James and verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. Okay? If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Oof. Okay? Perfect man. And scripture says, Jesus never stumbled in his word. There was no deceit found in his mouth. In his tongue. Never. Okay. He was not politically correct, mm -hmm. but he was absolutely perfect in his father's eyes. Yes. Even when he called uh, Herod, Herod a fox and all that, he was right in God's eyes. If God calls somebody a fox, he's a fox. Mm -hmm. You can be very sure about he's a fox. He's cunning as a fox. Okay. So you need to realize two of the things which the Bible talks, which is the most two difficult things for a human being. One is to love. Second is to be right in your conversation. Because ultimately people know you by what you say. Yes. And never to fail in your conversation. Okay, these two. And the Bible says, in the, 
And that is ultimate sanctification. Where you are able to love anyone and everyone. You can love and yet not compromise on what is truth. Okay? Jesus on the cross, he loved everyone. Okay, loved everyone. He said, Father, forgive them. When he said forgive them, he meant everybody. Okay, whether people would receive his forgiveness or not, that's up to their free will. So you need to realize when Bible talks about it, I don't go with scholars, I prefer to go with the word of God. And I believe Paul and all reached. And if you read Second Timothy, you will see that man reached that point. Yes, yes. I believe he was wholly sanctified. He will be one of those shining stars in heaven. You know, and that's what he's talking about. That is this is what I'm running after, he's saying. The penitent thief on the cross. The argument is that penitent. Can we put this off? Okay, yes. The, the penitent thief on the cross was promised a place in paradise. I don't believe he was wholly sanctified. He got saved at the last moment. If that is so, why would, why should we insist on a wholly sanctified life? If you only want this admission in the school, then that's fine. You'll be always in LKG. Which is true in heaven too. You'll be always in LKG. You will not be in class 10. You will not be graduating. So you need to realize that what is he, that's what you're talking, you're confusing salvation with sanctification and uh, justification, sorry, with sanctification and glorification. The thief on Jesus' side will have no glory. He has no rewards. He has no rewards. And everybody who gets saved is not getting rewards. After that, your race begins. He did not start his race. He did not complete his race. Okay? So that is entirely the work of God for all of us. But after that, the Bible says you've been put in a race. Run your race to receive that imperishable crown. When you're talking about paradise here, it is talking about a place. And talking talking about a place, like if you if you if you be in your own all your schools, you will remember everybody comes to the same gate. Everybody is in the same uniform. You go, but sometimes when you go to the principal's office, you will see all the shields and the this thing the school has received, right? And, and you will see the name of the student or the class or the team that got in. Okay, now that doesn't mean that everybody's name is there. No, everybody's not. But everybody came in through the same gate. But everybody did not go out through the same gate the same way. Mm. Some went out in glory. Some were just passed. Some failed. Mm. That's what Jesus is talking about. 30% in today's academics failed. 60% first class and 100%. And Pastor Vijay with Abigail is 100% math. Okay. <laughs> Abigail, I am hope you hear. It's a bad habit, Pastor. It's a bad yeah. habit. Yeah. We have to. <laughs> no, this Bible says be excellent. In what is good. Okay? It's not even satisfied with good or better. Be excellent in what is good and be innocent of what is evil. And that's the things which we have to, unless, that's again, like I said in the first round, unless we put it everything in the perspective of the kingdom of God, we will not be willing to suffer loss. Mm-hmm. All this loss is temporary. That is nothing. The loss eternal is what is terrible. Then there will be regret in heaven. Oh, I made it. If only I knew. If only I knew. And God will say in the 30th session of Q&A, you didn't listen. <laughs> next, next question again is on the same lines of sanctification. Mm. Question 5. What do you mean by hospitality without complaint? Mm. How do I begin sacrificing? How do I know I'm sacrificing? See, when you're talking about hospitality, <clears throat> basically they're talking about serving. Okay, serving. You know? Please be very, very careful about this. Uh, 
first, like you know, when people used to come to church in the beginning, when the church started and all, first what I tried to inculcate in everybody is the discipline of serving. Right? They were all in teams. They had to come on a Saturday. There were four teams, right? Four teams. It didn't matter what you were. No, you all had to come and clean the church, the toilets, everything. So, and they enjoyed it. Okay, there is different teams. They did. So first what we tried to inculcate is the discipline of serving. These are two different. Serving is one thing. The discipline is one thing. You can be a servant without the discipline of serving. Please understand, everything there is a discipline. And that happens by, you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, these things also you don't have to, a child of God doesn't have to do it on your own. Uh, the, the Lord helps you. Lord helps you, you know, like if those of you who are on the church uh, WhatsApp group, you will see you're getting your devotions at 4 in the morning. Yes, 3.55 today. 3.50. Because I've been asking the Lord whether I'm preaching or not, I want to really go up higher, meaning higher in the sense, wake up even more early than before. And the alarm doesn't have to ring, I'm up. Today I try, you know, let me call, only 3.45 and today's prayer and queue and I couldn't sleep. So I got up and said, okay, let me go upstairs and sit there and continue praying. So, because I realized, you no. Know, I don't have much time left to get that discipline because when you get older, to get new disciplines is not easy. It gets more. Your body is not very cooperative. There is a time and a season where you have to discipline your body. That's why all these disciplinary things are with children when they are young. There are spiritual disciplines also. The first thing we need to inculcate is uh, discipline. Now, one of my cousins, believer, from Australia, he's 70, and he wrote to me, and he this personal thing, he said, PJ, I, I do my devotions worship, and I walk two hours in the morning, and two hours at the evening, and I put my head down in shame. I said, if I were to walk four hours every day, I would probably collapse. And he's 70. If I'm right, he's 70. I said, no, you know what, I need to go a little high on that too. When I reach 70, I should be able to walk at least two hours every day. That would work out to 14 hours a week. No? So what I'm talking about you, you know, these are things which you need to realize, no, there is a discipline of serving and then there is serving. And then there is serving without complaint. Serving with complaint. Please remember, I'm putting in terms of the church. Let's look only in the terms of the church and the world we leave it aside. When you're talking about the church, the church is literally like the sheet Peter saw. All kind of creepy crawly things. Is it? No? People, you know, people when they come, they're from all kinds of messed up lives and all kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, they're not sanctified people. They're justified people. The problem is we have this picture that everyone who enters through the doors of the church is a saint. Mm -hmm. They are called positionally saints <laughs> and we hope one day they will become one. But even saints lose their temper. Okay, So we are called to serve one another. And the people you are serving aren't necessarily sanctified people. Okay? They'll be grabbing people. They may never even say thank you. They may demand more than you can. All kind of. But through it all, God is teaching you. Teaching you how to serve without complaining. Third important thing. I would put it right in the beginning. But because going in this order... Third most important thing is that even in serving, always remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24 or 26. Uh, yes. Come to you, me. 
Okay. All who are not prepared. And he says, when did you, when did we serve you? When did we serve? If that, if you keep that perspective in your head, that I'm serving him. him amen. I'm serving him. Okay. It makes it easier. But also remember the other side about serving him. When you are serving him, you also have to listen to him. Listen to him. You'll have to drop it and go when he tells you. Even if it's the most wonderful service you can have. Like he walks away in Mark chapter 1. A town full of people have come with the sick and the needy. And he just walks away. Because the father said, your service is in another place today. Mm. Okay? So you put all, so then people will complain. People will criticize. They will say, what kind of a person you are. All those things. Don't complain. You don't understand. You are not spiritual. I heard from the Holy Spirit. Nothing. No explanation. Just sit and continue. So when you are talking about serving with complaint, it has different levels. But you, we grow to it. Okay? These things don't happen in one day. We all keep growing to these things days. <coughs> and uh, that's that's hospitality. Hospitality basically here means serving. And please remember in the kingdom of God in serving the returns are all eternal. Mm-hmm. Even when you are a government servant, at the end of the month you get a salary. <laughs> when there is no salary, there is no serving also. Okay, no serving also. Okay, and uh, like you know, look look at the simple case today. What you are having, okay, uh, which is sad. I am honestly sad. We lost twenty soldiers at Gulwan. No. The whole country was sad and all kind of this thing and all. They were martyrs for the sake of the country. But we don't realize our essential workers for COVID-19 are facing death every day. 192 doctors have died in India so far, if the count is right. You didn't see a martyr's funeral for anybody. They were just taken and dumped and buried or whatever. But they are also dying for the country and they have no choice. Nurses, okay. So, so you need to realize what is happening. This are, these are our perspectives, mm. but you know, and many of them are depressed. Many of them are discouraged because I, I read one of those doctors. The thing he says, the minute you turn from a doctor to a patient, then you realize the difference. You are treated like just anybody else. Treated like anybody else. But my question to you is, in that case, if you are a believer and a believer doctor, your response also cannot be the same. You still continue serving without complaint because you are not serving because the government told you. Okay, You are God's essential worker. Hmm. You read the book of Acts and you see what Apostle Paul goes through. I will tell you honestly, okay, Jesus' death on the cross was a different death and suffering, which no man could do it. He was suffering and dying for our sins. If you read the book of Acts, Paul suffered more. Mm. Jesus was beaten up only on the last day of his life. Paul started getting beaten up right from the beginning of his ministry, all the way till the end. So, But he was not suffering for sin or for sinners. He was serving without complaint. Complaint. Never quit. Never gave up. Continue that way. So please remember. That's why these pictures are all given in the Bible. 
you know and uh, we have to learn these things and all and uh, like uh, two bachelors and three married people are there you know uh, weddings and wedding is one day marriage is a lifetime and marriages are not like they lived heavily have every day there is this conflict between the self should i serve myself or should i serve the other should i serve myself or should i serve the other it's a constant when you have children it becomes even more do i have to serve myself or do i have to serve the others now it, earlier it was only the other now it has become others and the child is the most vulnerable helpless and if you look at it as a being the most selfish being hmm. it doesn't care because it doesn't know how to care yes Okay, and God teaches us you through that. Will you serve without complaining? Okay, now you served your child without complaining. Now, will you serve other children, others' children without complaining? See, one of the things which I do, which people don't—they don't realize. I have my camera on my on my phone and watch that room in my special needs home where the bedridden and all the MR children are there, and I always watch the staff, and I know the ones who are absolutely loving and kind and patient with them, and the ones who are not. Now, those are not their children. Those children cannot give you anything back. But even today, I saw another staff member, and I was watching. Then after an hour again, I looked, holding that one child up, sitting there, and yet talking to all the other children for three hours holding one child you know, and holding one staff member was. Okay, and I look at that and I appreciate that. But that's not your child. Serving without complaint. Serving without complaint. Okay? So we need to realize, you know, but others don't do that. Even when you are turning an MR kid, a Down syndrome kid and with autism and bedridden who cannot move, I see how they pull them off. Put them down. Others will gently hold them. Put the pillow back. You see the way they are serving. And I will tell you, the one who is rough usually is an unbeliever. And the one who is very gentle is a solid believer. You can see the difference there too. I'm not saying all believers also are the same there. They don't know. I watch all the time. It's always open over there. Because those children are special children. That's why we call them special needs children. And how you deal with them. How you deal with them when you're put in a situation like that, how you deal with them shows whether you are serving without complaint. And then when we are Christians and we grow in our faith, we need to realize the whole world is a special needs school. Spiritually retarded. Everybody has spiritual problems. Some have spiritual Down syndrome, spiritual autism, all. And God is sending in. Will you serve them without complaint? Serve them without complaint. Mm. That's what he's talking about. And that's one thing you see about Jesus. My, this, okay, I'm ready to come. Lord, I'm ready to come. He's there. Through it all, he's there. But, governed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit says, move on. He moves on. But he's there serving without complaint. These are things which God is looking. Why are these things also important? And after a period of time, we learn to serve without complaint and we find our joy because you're serving a king. Because when eternity begins and this body is gone, there is no tiredness, no discouragement, no depression, no demonic oppression, nothing is there. And God says, hey, you come here. You take care of this entire country and serve me. You will say, yes, all that I worked for has worked. 
now this is what I trained for and this is my dream job. That's your dream job. Everybody talks about a dream job. You said, I got it. This is what I want. And God said, that's what. You didn't realize eternity is coming. And that's the day where all the wrongs will be righted. Amen. You know? So how do I begin sacrificing? How do I know I'm sacrificing? See, simple thing is that, let's put it in the basic thing, will it is the entire sermon in itself. The simple thing is that, that's why Jesus told you to pick up your cross and follow. He didn't say, follow me. He said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Sacrificing, simple explanation of sacrificing is that, the minute you start following Jesus, every day your will will cross his will. Hmm. And then you have to sacrifice whose will. It's like the joke we say in wedding sermons, you know. For this purpose man shall leave, his father and mother shall cleave and they shall become one. one. And then the next day the fight becomes which one? Which one? Mm-hmm. Which one? So you will always realize it begins in a day. Like, you know, simple thing I was explaining. The first thing I woke up, you know, I looked at it, it was 3.37. My will says, so turn around. And nice logical arguments were all coming. Mm-hmm. Why today is a Saturday and tomorrow is Sunday. Today you are not preaching and the Q&A questions will come to you only by evening. So you have plenty of time. You can just, just, you know, just, just set the alarm for 5, 5 or 5.30 and just take one more hour. You know? You know how? You know? But then your will has to cross his will and you have to realize, you know what, let me do one thing. My will or his will. And that's why he says, no, that prayer is... Thy will be done. And the son of man struggled in the garden of Gethsemane at his final stretch of his race. And he said, Father, take this cup away. And then he said, not my will, but your will be done. It's as simple as that. It's very simple. You will know it each day when you begin. It's your will or my will. No. When it comes to picking his will over your will, it is sacrifice with God or the other. Because ultimately, you will have to look at this, love God with all your heart or your mind and love your neighbor. And your will will be always connected with these two. Connected with these two. And as you go through, you will realize you are sacrificing. And that also becomes a, a joy, discipline. A joy, and a joy and a discipline. Okay. After some time, it doesn't matter. You just matter. do it just because you just you do, do it. it. It becomes like what we say in science, a reflex action. Okay. Reflex action doesn't come from the brain. Right. It comes from the spine. <laughs> right? If I'm right. My old science from school days. That's how we were taught. Oh, so we have some controversial questions we need to tackle. Which one is that? Question number two. Two? Yes. Okay. Men who are alcoholics, they drink themselves to being sick and nasty beings. Then the next day they wake up as if nothing happened. We forgive. We let go. For years you do this. Then one day you say enough is enough. Will God understand? Are we keeping on going on till we are miserable wives? There's no peace in this at all in your marriage. Why can't we just tell them to go and jump in the lake? God sees it. But if they know how to swim well, why should we? They'll come back. <laughs> God sees it. Why should He allow us? To be, to be miserable. miserable. Okay, when when I when I talk uh, deal with this, I deal with this almost every day with wives who are husbands are alcoholic, and sometimes a uh, long time ago, around twelve years ago, eleven years ago, I had to deal with a wife whose husband was workaholic. Three sixty-five days he used to be in the lab. 
And then she used to call me, say, Pastor, please, I haven't heard from him for two days. He's not picking the call. Would you please call? I said, yes, honey, wait a second. And then she said, Malkriya, you haven't called your wife. Because of their alcoholic husband, workaholic husband. Okay. <laughs> there he's sitting next to you. Okay. So, I had to give you, I had to bring that in. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no. So you need to realize, okay, alcoholic, alcoholic. No, this is this question is from the perspective of a marriage. Okay, but it 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 happens with a marriage, with children, in in churches, pastors. Okay, troublemakers who never leave. <laughs> we fast and pray, Lord, will will this? What will you please take them away? They they're the most regular, faithful attendees. Okay. So God says, live with them. I have kept them there for your sake. Okay, so they drink themselves to being sick and nasty beings. Then the next day they wake up as if nothing happened. Now let me tell you, dear sisters who are listening, one of the first things which you need to ask, because I'm telling you, one of the first things you need to ask is, don't look at your husband or husband if it is a wife with some other issue, addiction, whatever it is. now I am talking to you as a believer. Now the first thing which I need to tell you is that I am absolutely sure in almost every case I have noticed you became a believer after marriage in cases like this or you really encountered God. So the, one of the first things which you need to realize is um, you need to go, either you became a believer after marriage or you knowingly married somebody saying, I'm in love with him, he will change after marriage, whatever. You need to go back to God first there. The first step is not your husband changing. The first step is going there and say, Lord, um, this is where I am. This is where I am. Let me go to the beginning of my marriage. That's mm-hmm. where I will say you have to go. Because you see, the only one who can put all these things right or give you the strength is God. So in any situation like um, they say with engineering and management, let's going back back to the drawing board. Drawing board, yes. You have to yes. go back to the go back mm. to the beginning mm. with God. And when God takes you back to the beginning, He's not taking you there to condemn you. Mm. He's trying to give you a new beginning. Please understand this. God is not in the business of condemning his children. After Elijah ran from Jezebel, he goofed up bad time. He was suicidal. God woke him up gently, made him eat, made him eat twice. He walked 40 days to Mount Horeb and all the thunder, lightning, earthquake, everything. And then when God spoke to him in a whisper, the first question God does is take him back to the beginning. What are you doing here? Hmm. Let's go back. How did you reach this place? Where did you go wrong? Where did you go wrong? Why did you reach this place? Go back the way you came. So we do these fundamental principles of going back to where we started in a marriage. Go back where you started. Okay? No, you have to go back. Go back and say, Lord, this is where I goofed up. Would you God says, Okay. Are you sorry? You repent, yes, Lord. First, now you're pointing all your husband, finger at your husband or at your wife. No, go back and say, Lord, this is where I went back. God says, good. Now let's begin from there. Mm. You went wrong there. Let's begin from there. Okay, so you have, of course, you know what? These are all what the enemy holds against you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's got a database on you. Database on you, and then from there, 
you begin. Okay, you begin. Now, the question is, what do you need? First, you need to ask yourself is, uh, what do you believe? Second thing question I will ask you is, what do you, what do you think about marriage? Next question I will ask you is, what do you think about marriage? What is your perspective about marriage? Do you think marriage is a covenant until death do part? There are cases, three primary cases where I see in the Bible. One is adultery, that only because your heart is hardened and you don't want reconciliation. Two, violence. Right. And third, the spouse is unbelieving and he leaves. He does, if he doesn't want to leave, the Bible says, let him stay. You can't leave. Okay? So the second thing we have to ask is, what do you think about marriage? What do you think about marriage? Because, because there's no point counseling people who do not have eternal values. Okay? Eternal values. Because we are not doctors who prescribe a medicine and says, go. Did you pay my fee over there? Or you pay your fee, they let you in. Hmm. After that, he writes and take it for six days and he goes. Whether you eat it or not, he is not bothered. It doesn't work that way with God. He's not giving you a prescription. He's not giving you a prescription. He's talking to you about life. So the first thing you have to ask is this. Second thing, what do you think about marriage? What do you think about marriage? Okay. What do you think about marriage? Do you think it is God uh, signification with Eternal values put into it. Okay. And uh, like I said, these three things, you look at it. Is he violent? Is he violent? Okay. When it is violent, there are, you need a support group in the church. Support group. You know, my wife and I, <laughs> there are people in, not, actually not part of our church, but part of other churches where the husband is alcoholic. And the wife, that's, those are the wives whose call comes and we pick up any day, pray, counsel, laugh them through, and then it is okay. They manage for a couple of days. Again, it will come. Has the husband changed? No. no. How many years has this been gone by? 14 years? 15 years? Oh. It's gone by. Okay, it's gone by. It's going on. But what do we do? We prop them up. Because if you want a solution, both people have to come. I'm talking in this case to the wife, but you want a solution. The husband should be willing to change. The husband is not here in the picture. Because God can deliver anybody, but the question is, are you willing to be delivered? Are you so desperate you want to be delivered? Okay, question. So when the two, when the, there's an issue with two people and only one person comes, one person comes, you can only minister to that one person. You cannot minister to the other person. Other person. And there is so many marriages which are like that only where one person comes. So what, do, what does the pastor do? Counsel that person and help the person to hang in there because we look at the eternal value of a marriage because it's between Christ and the church. So hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. If there is physical violence, we will try to intervene to see that stops. Otherwise, hang in there. The question is, uh, I want you to go over there of a miserable wife in the, in the Bible. Okay, this didn't start yesterday or today. Okay, this started a long time ago. Okay, Genesis, the book of Genesis, and chapter twenty-nine, verses twenty-one to thirty-four. I remember when I preached this in a wedding many, many years ago. I don't remember how many. You don't know how many wives 
after the wedding, during the reception, came with tears in their eyes and said, you spoke to us, you spoke to us, gave us a completely different perspective how to handle. That's why our wedding messages are famous, because every wedding God would tell me, forget the bride and the bridegroom. There are people there, sitting there, who need to be ministered to. Ah, uh, 20... Nine. No, 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 sir, 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 sorry. 30, maybe, Pastor. No, no, that is Leah. 31, 31 okay. onwards. Okay. Oh, sorry. 31, 31, 31. 31. Okay. 31 onwards. 31 to 30. 29, 31 onwards. Yeah, 29, 31 to 35. Mm-hmm. Because these are important things. And I would always tell a sister or a brother, this is how you need to. Now, this is a very sad, unhappy, miserable marriage. Hmm. More than alcoholic marriage. But the husband is sober here. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was buried. I mean, think about it. This is a man with multiple wives. He loves one and has sex with the other. She's a living prostitute in that house. What's the job of a prostitute? To give pleasure to that man. She's just a cousin. But she is the wife. She's the one whom he marries first. She loves him. That's her husband. But he loves the other one, her own younger sister. And Leah's entire life is centered around her man, and she wants his heart. He takes her body, but never will love her. And God saw it. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. Reuben. Why? Because she thought Reuben actually means he has seen my misery. misery. He's thinking that, oh, he's seen my misery. Okay? And he thinks, okay, I brought forth a son in that culture. It's a huge thing. Now my husband will really love me. My sister has no children. I gave him a son. He's least bothered. Okay. Again, uh, and then, okay. She conceived again. And when he gave to birth, he said, because the Lord heard, I am not loved. What does Simeon mean? Simeon means uh, uh, one who hears. Okay, one who hears. Okay, Simeon. And then, Again she conceived. She gave birth to her Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have born, born him three sons. So he named him Levi. Levi. Okay. Now think about it. He named him Levi. Mm-hmm. She named him Simeon. He named him Levi. She is expressing her desire to him. And he names it according to the desire. But he is not attached to her. She's not attached to her. She's still miserable over. It's interesting how the narrative changes if you read it. She conceived again. And when she, she gave birth to a son this time, this time I will she, praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Judah means her. Meaning by the time it came to the fourth one, she took her eyes off her man and put her eyes on God. Okay. And God was working something through it all, through Leah, a woman who suffered so much in her marriage, for all women who suffer in marriage, take your eyes off your man if you're miserable in your marriage. Look up and praise me because you will never be, what you call it, dissatisfied in your relationship with me. I appreciate you. The thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. No. I have time for you. Because one of the complaints of wives is that you have no time for me. You never listen to me. And Jesus puts it 
in John chapter 2, uh, sorry, John chapter 4, he goes all the way to have a conversation with a woman. Since everybody waits over there, here is a woman who had five husbands living with the sixth one and the seventh one comes over there and she goes back full. Mm. She is no longer a miserable woman. Mm. She is a satisfied woman because she has actually met her bridegroom. And that's how you have to look at it. And that's how you tackle tackle your issues. Otherwise, you will not. You will not overcome. You have to overcome like Leah overcame. And the Bible says, as soon as she gave birth to Judah, she stopped conceiving. <laughs> she stopped conceiving. Okay? Meaning she's a satisfied woman. You know why we are dissatisfied? Because we are supposed to find our satisfaction only in God. God. If your wife satisfies you, your husband satisfies you, that person has become God. So Jacob will be always a miserable man because he finds his satisfaction in Rachel. His eyes is only for Rachel. Okay? That's how you have to. So you you can't just tell him, go jump in a lake. You can't take you know, and actually when you look up and you start changing, in many cases I have seen God starts touching him. In some cases God hasn't touched him. God hasn't touched him. But in many cases I have seen God touching the husband, okay? Things start stoning down. So what I would say is that don't be miserable. You'll be miserable like Leah. You can have three sons and you have everything in the house and they're very prosperous family. They got everything. Mm. But a miserable woman. And her misery changes when she looks up. And you have to look up. This has real issues in the Bible. Okay? Real issues in the Bible. And there is another woman. Her husband loves her. But she has no children. He says, am I not worth ten sons to you? She said, I want a child. I want a child. And she's not getting. Every day she's going, crying. Every year she goes. Then one day she tells the Lord, you give me a son, I'll give the son over to you. Over. Okay, over. And she's conceived. Hmm. And she gives a son over. So what is God telling the mother? Your satisfaction will not be in your son. Your satisfaction will be in me. He opens her womb because she chooses to give her son unto God forever. Hallelujah. In both cases, he says, if you're a woman, you're not supposed to find your satisfaction in your man. You be the best wife you can be, but you ultimate satisfaction is from you. If you are a parent and you are trying to find a satisfaction in your child, you are going to be miserable. You will be happy if you find your satisfaction. You hand your child over to me and live it. And everywhere God is, because these are our closest relationships. Closest relationship. Parents, spouse, child. Abraham could not move into the promised land as long as he's attached to his father. Once his father dies, God appears. Mm. God appears. So you have to look at it that way. Unless you look at it that way. Because this is a relationship issues. And that's why you can never circumvent God's order. God's order is commandment one first, not commandment two. Commandment two is your wife, your spouse, your child, your parents and all. But commandment one is God. Yes? Yeah. Why would he allow us? He's not allow. He's not allowing you to be miserable. We choose to be miserable because our eyes are on man and not on God. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, we have two questions. Mm. Uh, both are related to Catholicism. Okay. One just came online, okay. and one uh, is of question number one. Mm. Uh, you, I'll uh, I'll read you. Uh, I read think we answered one. Yes, no, I'll read for you the question that we came, uh, that online, came online. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there? A purgatory, and is there sanctification in purgatory to enter heaven? There is no purgatory. 
there is no purgatory. There's nothing like purgatory in the Bible. There's no purgatory in the Bible. These are all concepts from the Middle Ages that was brought because the Catholic, Catholic Church teaches you a salvation of works. So there is no purgatory. Okay, there is no purgatory. And uh, there's nothing like that. And right now in the New Covenant, after the Old Covenant, because the devil had power over death, so you will see Jesus talking about the parable. It was not a parable about, but a real story because names are mentioned over there. Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man goes to hell. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Okay, he's over there. But in Ephesians chapter 4, scripture says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he took captivity and captive. The souls are all there in heaven, the redeemed souls. They're all waiting for their bodies. Now, nobody will get their bodies. And you can go to the last words of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the last two verses. This Hebrews chapter 11 is this incredible chapter about the overcomers, those the, the people who fought that fought their faith. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. What is that? They're all waiting for their body mm. and their rewards. Nobody has received. Why? God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What is that perfection talking about? That body. Everybody is waiting. Nobody has got. Souls are all there in heaven. We saw when in the book of Revelation, Paul's, uh, sorry, John sees the souls of them. And they say, how long? How long would should we wait? I mean, what are they waiting for? Are you there in the presence of God? They're waiting for their bodies hmm. and their rewards. Yes. Because nobody's been commissioned to do anything yet yes. because they have to wait. <laughs> Eternity hasn't begun yet. Reigning for them hasn't begun yet. They have to get a body and they have to declare this is what you will all get. So they're all waiting. Why? God is waiting for the last man to come in and rapture to take place. So there is no purgatory. There is no purgatory. Absolutely. Because if there is purgatory, then this entire concept of sanctification and running a race over here has no meaning. meaning. It's yes. pointless. Yes, yes. It's pointless. Let us eat and live. Eat pointless, and yeah. It is not, it has no meaning at all. And Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have finished my race. He said, he doesn't say, I have almost finished my race and the rest, I will do it in purgatory. He said, I have finished my race. I finished. Can we go over there? Because it's somebody online who asked that question. Second, Second Timothy, Timothy four, chapter 4, 6, 7, six, 8. Six. Yeah. Hmm? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He says, I finished the race. Meaning there's nothing more to be done on that side. It's finished here. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me what? A crown of the crown of righteousness. There's nothing, you, you can't, there is no makeup exams there. Okay, makeup exams over there. And let's, because this is a very important thing, let's go back to, uh, let's go to Corinthians. That's Corinthians. Because it's all connected with, you know, chapter 3. Okay, verse 11 onwards. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is... Now, we are here being compared to a building, okay? The foundation stone is our salvation on the finished work of Jesus Christ. No one will boast. It was only done by God. Each one is saved by grace through faith. After that, your work of sanctification and serving begins. Sanctification and serving. Both has to be there. You'll be judged for your works and you will be judged for your life. Both has. You can be a sanctified vessel and not used. No. You have to be a sanctified vessel which was used by the master. Okay, so when Paul is talking about, he is a sanctified vessel and was used till his last breath. Okay, 
So that's the building. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Six things are mentioned over there. And then his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Mm. How he lived his life and how he served his God. It will be revealed with fire. Mm. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Okay, that's judgment day. It's not happening in purgatory. It is happening on day of judgment. And what you did was during this life. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. He will be saved. So there's no purgatory there. The day of judgment, everything will be revealed. It's a spiritual fire. It's not a physical fire. Okay, So you will come through the fire. And if your work survives, you get your rewards according to your work. But if you have no, all your works are still trying to please yourself, it gets all burned up, you end on the other side only with your salvation. On the other hand, if purgatory is true, then people who have got a really good advantage, then the earlier you are born, the better it was. Mm -hmm. You got 3,000 years in purgatory to make up and really come through purified. It doesn't happen. The last fellow who gets saved is a fool. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. The Bible is very clear. There is no purgatory. This is a middle age concept and Dante, the French uh, uh, poet, novelist, dramatist, made an entire drama play about it called Inferno and all that. It's a middle age Catholic concept. It's not there in the Bible and nobody believed it in the beginning. It came in the middle ages. So, uh, it helps to keep you comfortable, but it is a lie. Mm. It's a false comfort. It is not truth. It is not truth. Because it, 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 you tell a student, you know, uh, you tell a student, don't worry if you don't uh, pass or get a first class. You can again write next time. Immediately he slackens. Mm. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, let us go to Hebrews. It's appointed unto man 9, 14? 927. 9, 9, 9, yeah. Look at that. That's the best, best uh, line to explain that doubt. Just, just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face, no purgatory. Purgatory is not judgment. If there is purgatory and then after purgatory face judgment, no. The Bible is that man is destined to die once and after that is to face judgment. Yes, Pastor Vijay. The, in the same lines, or one of the things that I've also seen is that among the Catholics, mm. um, there are some people really saved. In the yeah, they're saved people. Are. They're saved, of they saved, are. And they're on, I mean, they're evangelized and everything. Mm. The doctrine is absolutely perfect, mm. even in, tom, in terms of their justification. Mm. But what is the one thing that they're not able to overcome? In that, in that they're not able to uh, make that clear-cut distinction with the fact that I don't associate with the Catholic Church anymore. Because it's still no, the the, people. There are saved people, but the problem is even at every level, if you look at, uh, you look at, uh, Abraham's life as an example, he heard the voice of God at Haran, sorry, Ur of the Chaldeans, he heard the voice of Haran. God in Haran, then he heard it in Bethel, then he heard it in Mamre, and all that he has to hear it in Moriah, it mm. is steps. But at every step, you have to let go of something. When it comes to the Catholic Church, the believer in the Catholic Church, genuinely saved believer in the Catholic Church, they will not leave two things. One, they will not leave the church. Mm. Second, they will not leave Mary. Okay. Even if you saw the RNC convention when it finished after everything was over, that uh, concert that was there, it was Ave Maria. Mm. I mean, it's a political move by the RNC because there's a huge Catholic population over there. 
these two things, even the charismatic priests at the end of it, with the Holy Spirit miracles, this thing, word of knowledge, at the end of it, they will bring in Mary at the end. They are not able to break from these two. So they come to a point and they cannot go beyond that. You have to leave the church if you are, if you really want to break through, you have to leave the church. Simply because what happens in the Catholic church, their entire service, because I come from a Catholic family, my wife comes from a Catholic family, so we know what it is after we got served, saved and came out. The Catholic church is called a mass. You don't have a service. We don't, they don't have a worship service. They have a mass. Meaning what they are doing, the entire mass is a sac reenacting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is why they believe and they take the Eucharist and this thing. It literally becomes the body of Jesus Christ and his blood. They literally take John chapter 5, you have to eat my body, flesh, transubstantial. And that's not true. These are just emblems. We do this in remembrance of, we are proclaiming his death and his resurrection, his death that he died for my sins. So you need to realize why you have to come out of it, because you cannot reenact uh, uh, Jesus Christ's uh, sacrifice again. You will be caught like Moses when he hit the rock a second time. Hmm. He was only told to speak to the rock. And Paul will say in Corinthians 10, the rock that followed them was Jesus Christ. Christ. You smite Christ only once. He is offered once and for all. So you cannot offer him every Sunday again. It's an abomination to God. You cannot do that once and for all. Hmm. He was offered once. And that's why you will always see, if you simply want to see the difference between a Catholic church and a Protestant church, the Protestant church has a cross, the Catholic church has a crucifix. Crucifix, yes. crucifix means he hasn't risen from the dead yet, he's still hanging there. And you cannot have it, the cross is empty, forever empty, he's not hanging there. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he's seated on the right hand side. So what happens is, they are able to go to the salvation work of Jesus Christ. They may even grow in their sanctification. They are not able to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ yeah. because he's still hanging there. He hasn't risen. Yes, yes. You are always putting that across. Mm. You get caught in that trap. Symbols are powerful if you have a symbol. You have a symbol, be very careful. The symbol is very powerful. You have a crucifix over there. He's hanging over there. No, he's not hanging. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Amen. So you have to be very, very careful about these things because what you believe will make a difference. Jesus said the truth will set you free. So they are caught over there. They are caught over there. And the other trap you are put on over there, no, one more trap, which genuine good believing Catholics get trapped. Acts chapter 1. And we will close for today. Yes. Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave. Everybody will receive the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now come to verse 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, begins with Peter, okay? John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alephaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, 
They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus. and with his brothers. So who is the beginning of uh, Catholic Church? Peter. They say he is their first pope. And who is the end of the Catholic Church service? It is Mary. Both are in the same room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Mary is not a redeemer. She is waiting for the same thing that is promised to all believers. Amen. Amen. All believers. All believers. Please understand that Peter and Mary. The narrative begins with the name of Peter, ends with the name of Mary, and in between are all the others, all are sitting there waiting for what? For the Holy Spirit. So that they can go out and serve their Lord, Savior, Redeemer in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one more word, because these are the blocks they face. This is in chapter, uh, the Gospel according to Luke. Verse 40, chapter 1, verse 46, uh, 45, 46-47. This is Mary. Blessed is he, she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be Akash. She's the most blessed among women because every woman in the old covenant hoped they would birth the Redeemer. It happened to her. Listen to what she says. The, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my, my Savior. Savior. Where is the Savior? Hmm. In her womb. Mm-hmm. What is she calling him? My Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. My God. My Savior. This is where they go wrong. These two things, if they are able to reconcile, and if as a believing Catholic, you come out, you you then move further with God. Otherwise you are saved, you are sanctified. But you will have issues with God when you meet before God. Because like, J- like Abraham, he left his father, he allowed his nephew to go, but he's still not perfected in his faith until he puts his son on the altar. Then the Bible says his faith was perfected, and his righteousness was complete. Mm. And these two things, Catholic believers are not willing. And when they are willing and they come out, their yeah. eyes open, they yeah. understand, they have zeal. But the opening of the scripture takes place after that. They understand scripture like no man's business because they have already have a discipline. Catholic Church has a discipline like Muslims and Catholic Church people have a discipline of prayer and attending and you, the Catholic Church, uh, a, a genuine Catholic, I'm not talking about the fake Catholics, the genuine Catholics who always went to church and attended everything and all. When he becomes or she becomes a believer and comes to a Protestant church, you have no, usually don't have much trouble with them because they always listen to their father. Mm. They understand the concept of authority very mm, well. Protestants are more democratic. <laughs> you know? Catholics are not. They understand very well. You know? They very well their concept. So when they come over here, they don't know, they very rarely do they rebel in the churches they come. They are brought up that way. The same thing is with the uh, Muslims. When they get converted, really converted and come through, you really have trouble with them because they always were under Sharia. You know, so they had that discipline. Now they needed the truth. Okay, we have the truth without the discipline. You know, and then we use democracy to justify our rebellion. The reason I mentioned is because there's one Catholic evangelist uh, at Speaker's Corner in, in, in London. I mean, I've by far I've seen one of the most articulate and brilliant. Uh, uh, expositors of the, for in the, at the evangelist level. He was the one who confronts the mm-hmm. But one thing I always see that he still struggles with that Catholic yeah. part of it. That no. part of it. That mm-hmm. is because that and is... Saved for sure. I can see that. And because genuine. Genuine. like, you know, like every child like you know, every child uh, has an attachment 
to the mother. Mm. Yes. And she's been sold to the church as the mother. It's very difficult to leave the mother. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. No, that's how sentimentally the whole thing is sold to them. You know that she's the mother, she's the mother. Then if she's the mother, uh, we don't want to get into that. <laughs> she's not the mother of the church. She was the mother of Jesus who was born in the flesh. Amen. Amen. No? Because it's a very... I could really put a spanner in the works because Jesus is called the everlasting father. And if Jesus is the mother and the son is the father, you're going to have incest over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we shall not get into that. This is a spiritual picture. Amen. Okay, yeah. so Mary was the most blessed. One of the fundamental things Catholics when they reach heaven is going to, they will get a lecture from Mary. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Didn't I tell you in John chapter 3, go whatever, to him and do whatever, whatever he, says. he says. Hallelujah. 2000 years you gave me no sleep. I had to hide myself every time because you were calling on my name and not his name. Hallelujah. One lecture, all Catholics God will send to one special hall. Man. One convention will be there also. <laughs> God is good. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this Q&A, so Lord. We thank you, Lord, the questions. And your children are all seeking, Lord. We do not intend to hurt anybody. But sometimes truth hurts because these may be opinions, ideas, there some people have held for years and years together until it has become a part of them. But like Abraham, we have to let go of things which God says, let go. Otherwise, we'll not be able to go further with him. So how hard it is, I pray, Lord, your children will let go of things. And the miserable ones in their marriages, homes, workplaces will look up and not look down, and start praising you. Paul and Silas were able to praise you through their torment, and God came in and opened up a door of escape. They were brought out. I pray, Lord, people will really start experiencing the power of God, that Christianity becomes a practical life, and not doctrine. It becomes life. You did not come to give us a doctrine, you came us to give us life. I pray, Lord, they will experience Even as they pray and bring their supplications, they will thank you through it all and praise you through it all and they will experience, yes, my husband, my alcoholic husband of so many years was the reason I was driven to Christ and was sanctified and in heaven I will receive my rewards because God used him as an instrument to make me that holy, loving, kind and patient woman. So many sisters will say that in heaven. And many of them, if their husbands make it to heaven, will take that crown and say, you are the reason for my crown. Help them to see it in eternal perspective, Lord, that all that we go through here are momentary afflictions. And the eternal weight of glory awaits us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Speak your rest for the soul first and healing for the body. And I pray, Lord, tomorrow, if you tarry to come tonight and give us another day tomorrow morning, we'll be all back here to worship you, to glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.